Hey everyone, welcome back to the Last Word on Sense podcast. As always, I'm your host, Alex Metzger, and joining me today, making his return to the podcast, is the one and only Steve on Sense. How's it going, man? Uh, not bad. Um, yeah, excited to for the season to kick off and excited to be back talking Sense. Yeah, it's uh, it's funny. It doesn't feel to me like we are only a couple weeks away from the season. Like it, uh, it kind of felt like, at least to me, that the season has gone from absolutely nothing happening to the NHL and obviously camp started this week and we actually had our first preseason game yesterday in Australia between uh, the LA Kings and the Arizona Coyotes, but it still feels like the season's far enough away. And then I think about it, I'm like, no, it it starts in like literally under 20 days. And I am very, very ready for this season to start. I cannot wait for hockey to begin again. Yeah. Um, speaking like on my personal level, like I, I've moved out to, to Vancouver. So uh, I'm uh interested to see how i adjust to the uh, the 4 p.m sends uh, game starts but um yeah really excited for for it all to start and uh i mean uh, already enjoying just having something to talk about um sends wise uh with with camp starting and and ownership changing so uh, yeah it's an exciting time for sure yeah absolutely and that's uh that's a good segue into definitely the biggest piece of news over the past week, and that is that the uh, Ottawa Senators are officially under new ownership. Michael Anlar has bought the majority of the team. He was introduced this week to all the media. Um, I mean, just from an outside perspective, it looks like they absolutely killed this presentation, just the way they they went about it in terms of introducing him, the way he went about what he wants to do with this market. It seems like they're, they're finally embracing uh, Gatineau, not only just Ottawa as well, um, and even mentioned something to uh, the the town of Belleville as well for the Belleville Senators. So um, from an outside perspective, I mean, like obviously I wasn't there or anything like that. But to me, this is just night and day, not only from obviously the, the previous ownership that uh, this team's been under for the, the previous decade or two or whatever, but just it's such a refreshing feeling to see someone who looks like he genuinely cares. And, and it's uh, no better time because it's such an exciting uh, match with the start of the year yeah absolutely um and lauer i would say hit you know all the the right notes on that uh that first press conference um you know it's it's great to see serial leader back with the team um it's yeah i think it's phenomenal to hear him stress the the regional aspect of, of ottawa gatineau um because that's really been um probably the um biggest blind spot for the team uh, i don't know if that's quite the right word i want to use but um they certainly haven't done a great job of, of including uh, Gatineau residents and I would say francophones as a whole into the uh, Sens uh, fandom. So uh, to to be you know making those initial first steps to reach out and to bring those people on board. Hopefully they um, you know ditch their Habs gear like Ann Lauer did uh, the other day. Um, yeah, I think uh, I think it's just a, a step in the right direction and um, it was really encouraging to hear. Uh, pretty much everything uh, he said uh, yesterday morning. Yeah, and I think, you know, obviously uh, talk only goes so far. Actions speak louder than words, and and those actions are already kind of being brought into place, I think. Obviously, as you mentioned, Cyril Leader is back with the team, which is super, super encouraging to me. Uh, it's already been, you know, uh, Anilor was saying that, you know, he was talking about the celebrities that when it was going on and Ryan Reynolds and all that stuff, and he name-dropped. He's like, I got the biggest Ottawa celebrity and Daniel Alfredson, and, and that's just a great way to play to the market, but it seems like Alfredson will be part of the team going forward too, which is cool, and, and even in their front office. Um, 
Sean Tierney was brought in for uh, to help with their analytics department, which is something that's been so, so critically lacking over the past couple of seasons for sure. And honestly, somewhere they're just behind the rest of the NHL in. So um, yeah, it's been not only encouraging just from a words perspective, but already the, the front office changes they're starting to make are uh, really exciting. I think. Yeah. Um, and it seems like it's just the start. Like I think we'll, we'll get some clarification on, um, some of the other names being floated around, Steve Steyos probably being the the biggest one. Um, yeah, I'm I'm excited to see how this all evolves with the the front office, with the new people being bringing being brought in, uh, how that dynamic kind of works with the existing uh, staff. I mean, we'll see how this shakes out for Pierre Dorian. Um, it doesn't seem like he's going to be canned, you know, anytime, you know, immediately, but. Um, still, um, you, know, you bring in potentially a president of hockey operations. Um, yeah, we'll see um, how that dynamic works, and uh, uh, it'll be interesting to see how it shakes out. Yeah, I think even before they made these moves, I don't think it would have been a hot take to say that this season for both Dorian and, and especially DJ Smith, uh, the the success of this season is crucial to if they stay with this organization going forward. You know, like if. Uh, Quite honestly, if the Ottawa Senators get out to a start like they have the past three years where they they go on like a six, seven game skid where they just drop a bunch of points, I don't see DJ Smith making it past November as you know, and, and I don't even know if that's a hot take, to be honest. But for Pierre Dorian, I, I definitely think he's got all season probably to show his vision, you know, where he wants this team to go. But at the end of the day, like with the money this team has put into the roster now, like this is this is a team that is basically capped out, as weird as that is to say, if they fall flat on their face and miss playoffs by eight, nine points again this year, it's just not going to be good enough and changes will be made regardless of who is now in the front office. Uh, Yeah, definitely. Like, I think um, regarding Smith, I mean, he's probably on the hotter seat because his role, you know, has a more direct effect on the actual on-ice product, right? Like, if you fire a, a GM... um. You know, that's that's kind of more of a, a broader strategic move that probably won't, you know, pay any kind of immediate dividends. So yeah, I would say that, you know, I would expect Pierre at least to be around for uh for this year. Um but yeah, you're bang on about Smith. Like I think um in the um the Sweden trip is probably the um the um like uh, that's a real critical point. Um for the team, I would say, um, if they're in a rough spot by the time they're leaving for Sweden, I mean, that's probably when you want to make a move. So, um, I mean, hopefully we don't get to that point. Hopefully we're, we're talking about a, a playoff team, um, by that point, but, uh, but yeah, that'll be interesting to follow because, um, yeah, it's, it does, um, you know, I've been critical at times of, of Smith, but it, at this point in the rebuild, it does seem like, um, you know, things are going well, they've established a really good culture. Um, and I think definitely a lot of that does fall to, to, to DJ. Um, so, uh, I guess that just the next question is, can you translate that, that, you know, great culture into uh, a winning product on the ice? Um, so, um, yeah, excited to, to see how that works out. Yeah. I completely forgot they were going to Sweden to be honest. I, uh... Yeah. We, we got to that's like when the the duchene era curse will finally end is uh you return to to stockholm and uh that window that uh six-year window will 
close. <laughs> Say they're playing the Red Wings, I believe, too. So hopefully for the Red Wings, the Brinkett era curse begins. But um, yeah, no, I, I think for DJ Smith, you mentioned, you know, you've been critical. And I, I certainly have been very critical of Smith over the years. And it's tough because I really I do want to like him. As you mentioned, it's clear the culture is a good culture in that locker room, especially for a team. Dude. Yeah, exactly. Like he seems like a, a pretty good guy that you you want to play for, and you know he's going to be hard, but not over aggressive or anything like that. And again, just he's clearly earned the respect of all the players under him, which is a great thing and something that can't be overlooked. But then it comes to stuff on the ice, and it's just such a a hot and cold situation with him where there's just stuff where I really don't think it works, and. He sticks to it for two, three, even four weeks longer than I really think he should. And and the one thing I've always given DJ Smith credit for, and I still will now, is he, especially compared to, I think, other NHL coaches that I've seen, you know, Guy Boucher comes to mind a lot. He is okay admitting he's wrong and moving past a mistake. I just wish he would do it a little earlier. Um, you know, like there's there's been a couple times over the past couple of years where there's just been something, whether it's a defense pairing, whether it's someone playing on a different line and the line's just not going, where it feels like the entire Ottawa Centers fan base is screaming for two weeks, make this switch, make this switch, and it doesn't happen. And then randomly three weeks later, a switch will be made and he'll come out and be like, yeah, no, like it wasn't working and I probably should have done this a little sooner, but now it is working. So that's great. And it's like, well, it's better than just repeating the negative thing. But at the same time, it's frustrating that so many people can see that it was a negative thing and it still took two, three weeks or whatever to, to be a change. So that's something where I really want to see, uh, you know, if he can adjust this year, because there's a fine line as well. Of course, you can't you don't want to throw the lines in the blender every single game as soon as something goes wrong. But I, I think my biggest criticism of DJ Smith is at times in his career, he's definitely let things go on a little too long when it's very obvious it's not working. Uh, yeah, and I guess the hope um, this season and maybe a bit last season is that you know now hopefully you have the roster where some of those really frustrating pairings or, or line combos they um, the the roster is strong enough that you don't you know get the frustration of you know watching Nikita Zaitsev for over you know for like twenty minutes a night or um, you know some of the other uh, players that have come through uh, that have you know, <laughs> uh, made some fans want to pull their their hair out a bit so. Uh, hopefully, with uh, the season with um, with what looks like a pretty deep roster with some you know, pretty skilled players, um, that you know things we hit the ground running and uh, we don't uh, we don't have so much frustration with uh, some of those combos. Yeah, I'm cautiously optimistic because this was the exact same conversation that was having we were having last year as yep. well, where it was okay now he's got an actual, actual roster let's see what he does and it was a lot of Travis Hamonic playing a lot more than he probably should have and and i get it like injuries played a role as well and didn't help the team at times last year but yeah it, it'll be this is a make or break year i think for GJ Smith as the head coach of the Ottawa Senators and it's going to be a make or break start for the team because you know i mentioned a couple times like last year they went on a seven game stretch in the beginning of November where they didn't even get a single point and that basically took them right out of the playoff for the entire year they obviously fought back near the end and and finished six points out but uh the, the covid shortened year they were on like an L10 in the the month of the first month of the season um the, the year after that, like it was another like L6 or something. So it's just been awful start off after awful start. And some of them you can excuse with injuries, you know, um, Brady Kachuk missed the start of the year, the one year, but this year 
as far as I'm concerned, there's really no excuses and, and there can't be any excuses either. Cause this is a really tight division again, and they need every point possible if they want to make playoffs this year. Yeah. Um, yeah, fully agree with that. Um, let's go on to, I guess, using that, what is your expectation for the team this year? Because, you know, I, I don't think it's unfair to say that playoffs absolutely need to be the goal. Um, you know, we were kind of saying the same thing last year with all the additions they made. I am just as full on it this year. Do you, and I don't, I don't even want to put this scenario, but I'm going to, for the, the sake of discussion, let's say the team has a, a pretty good year. They finish with like, let's say 93 points and miss the playoffs by a singular point. Is it playoffs or bust for you? Or would that still be considered a su- successful year? Um, I would be very disappointed if this team did not make the playoffs. I'll say that. Um, yeah, I guess you know, if it's within one point, you can maybe take some solace in that they made it close or whatever. But you know, we're going on um, you know seven years here uh, without playoff hockey, so um, yeah, I think I think it's time for this team to, to take that step. Um, I think they got a bit of a taste of it last year towards the end where they they. Um, you know, had a bit of pressure on them and they were playing, you know, that famous quote of meaningful games. Um, but I think, you know, this year that, I mean, I know they're, they're not, you know, externally saying that and that's probably smart of them to, to not put that pressure on themselves um, because that just, you know, ramps up the media. But um, I think, I, w- I would expect internally that, that they do believe they're a playoff team. And I think they, I think, um that expectation should be there at the, at this point of the rebuild. Um, you know, closure is not getting any younger. Um, you know, you've got Tarasenko for a year. Um, you know, you got players like Stutzla and Kachuk and, uh, you know, hopefully taking another step. And, you know, we, we hope for a bounce back here from Shabbat and you bring in Norris, hopefully for a full healthy year and same with Chikrin. And, you know, I, th- I, th- I think there's been enough additions, even going back to, um, you know, the start of last year, um, whether that's players who have been brought in or players who, you know, hopefully will have a healthy year that, um, you know, I think on paper, this, this should be a playoff team. Uh, and I, I would be pretty disappointed if, uh, uh, if they did fall short of that, especially if it's in the simpler way that they've done in the last few years with those slow starts. So, um, yeah, um, fingers crossed on that one. Uh, yeah, hopefully, uh, hopefully, I'm flying back to Auto for some playoff games uh, in a, in a handful of months. Yeah, I gotta agree with you. I think it, it's got to be, you know, playoffs or this year's a disappointment. Um, you know, this is not as young of a team as people people probably think of them as, you know, obviously like Stutzla, Sanderson, they are still young guys, but even Brady Kachuk is getting up to his, you know, mid twenties here. Thomas Shabbat is in his mid twenties. Jonas Corposalo, who they brought in to be the quote unquote goalie of the next couple of years, he's 30 years old. So it's not like this is a, a team of just 19 and 20 year olds anymore. You know, obviously they still have a ton of upside and, and guys like Stutzla and even Kachuk, I think could take another step forward. Jake Sanderson, of course, as well. But yeah, this is uh this is a team where they need to start proving that they um they belong and especially because they've all been paid now too you know i i think back it's not the same because obviously the maple leafs paid a lot more for some of their players but 
we laughed a lot or a lot of people laughed at the Toronto Maple Leafs for paying their core players before anything really happened. And obviously we know the, the lack of playoff success that team said, well, guess what? The Ottawa Senators have locked their guys into a lot of money as well. There are a bunch of players making over $8 million. And I think those contracts are great. Like the Tim Stutzel one already looks like an absolute steal. But that being said, it's still a lot of money to be paying guys for that haven't made the playoffs. So now is the time that they need to go show why you gave them that money and show that they deserve it and go and prove it. And I, um, I'm optimistic about this year. And I do think, you know, you made a good point about they're not, uh, they're not saying anything externally. I'm very happy they've learned. And I don't think it was as much the players, but I mean, how many Pierre Dorian quotes can you list off on the top of your head of just like, Oh man, why are you saying that? The, the unparalleled success, the, the rebuild is over. Um, you know, just, just, a um, a number of quotes from this team's front office over the past couple of years. So I definitely think the, uh, the tactic of let's just, you know, we're, we're optimistic about our team, but let's see where things go. We don't want to promise anything. I think that's better just for the pressure, as you mentioned. Uh, yeah, that's a definitely, definitely a fair point. Um, there's still one player that is unsigned on this roster and that is Shane Pinto. Uh, from everything I've heard, it doesn't sound like it is going to be, a massive holdout or anything like that. Um, you know, I, I would expect him to probably sign in the next couple of weeks. Maybe he misses part of the, the start of the season. But uh, the one curious thing that it's going to be see how they, they work around it is they are currently at a projected cap hit of $83.379 million. Uh, they That means they have 120 k in cap space. They obviously cannot sign Shane Pinto for $120,000. Uh, I'm going to be very curious to see what moves they make to get Sean, uh, Shane Pinto on this roster, because I think it is very obvious, you know, he is going to be on the roster when he signs, he's not going to the AHL or anything like that. Um, but it might have to be a trade unless they try and wave guys like Kostelik and Parker Kelly, depending on what Pinto's contract uh, entails here. If they do have to trade someone, who do you think would be the most likely uh, person to move out or what do you think the most likely scenario is to get a Shane Pinto contract under the books assuming it's probably in the I don't know let's say one to two million dollar range for a one-year bridge deal is kind of what I see happening here um, yeah assuming if this doesn't get sorted out by a training camp injury or something like that um, in terms of players that I think could be moved out and this pains me to say because I really like him is like I I think Eric Branstrom might be uh, getting squeezed out here um just because you know you have that um that mass of of um defensemen um you know they they brought back Hamannick uh, JBD's on a one-year deal and then Tyler Clevin seems to be you know uh, just right at the door um pushing for a roster spot so um you've got those guys around and then Brandstrom he's you know making I believe two million a year uh, and he is I mean he, I would say he definitely has positive value um you could definitely get something for him and that's certainly not the case for matthew joseph uh at his contract and what he put up so uh, i think the combination of just the um the amount of d that they have and the contract situation uh, probably pushes him out i guess the other potential candidate would be kubalik um and uh i'm kind of excited to see him play this year but um, he would definitely have a higher value than Matthew Joseph at this point. And I don't know if you really want to be attaching you know, a, a 
to get rid of that Joseph contract, like you're probably at least talking a second round pick to get rid of, if not more. Um, so, uh, and you'd be selling low on him too. So, um, I don't know if that's necessarily the move that the team uh, wants to make. So, um, yeah, I think all signs are kind of pointing towards Brandstrom, um, which is too bad, but, uh, um, but yeah, it's unfortunate how that entire Joseph contract and situation has unfolded, especially you know how yeah, it, was, it was Nick Paul who was traded for him, and I think we could have just saved a lot of headache if you just signed Nick Paul. <laughs> but uh, I don't know. Every team has their regrets, so yeah, you just kind of live with it. And uh, yeah, hope hopefully it all gets sorted out with Pinto soon. Hopefully it's not because of an injury, especially not an injury to Norris, but. Um, yeah, it, it all kind of seems like it'll get sorted out. I mean, Frank Pinto tweeted out the other day is a uh, hashtag go sends go. So I don't think th- there's any kind of animosity, at least at this stage uh, between the sides. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm sure Pinto kind of understands the situation with the, with the cap and, um, uh, yeah, I'm sure he'll, he'll be in camp relatively soon. Yeah, I, I think, you know, I kind of echo your sentiments there where, again, I'm, I'm not pretending to be an insider or anything, but everything I've kind of heard from from just talking to people here and there is that, you know, this isn't something that's going to drag on throughout the year or anything like that. You know, it, it's something they they will get done. And I, I agree. I, I think, you know, unfortunately, Brandstrom probably is the number one option to be moved, you know, especially with how good Tyler Clevin looked in a, in a small sample last year. Um, you know, if he kind of looked really out of place coming out of college, I think maybe they'd, they'd think twice, but I think they are probably comfortable playing a pretty physical bottom pairing in Tyler Clevin and Travis Hamanek with the JBD rotating in and out there as needed. But um, yeah, I agree where, I have seen a lot of people talk about the Joseph thing and what people I think oftentimes forget when it comes to contracts is teams will take bad money, especially if you attach an asset to it. Hey, I don't know if that's what Ottawa wants to do, but teams are very, 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 very hesitant to take contracts that have more than one year of salary on them, which is exactly what Matthew Joseph's is. Even if it's not a large number like Joseph's, which is only $2.95 million dollars. Um, but it has two more years after this one. So, you know, like I've seen a lot of people say, oh, Arizona or Chicago will take it. It's like, well, they're not necessarily going to do that. You know, they, maybe they should if they get an asset with it, but they're not going to take it for a sixth round pick or whatever, because they know in three years, maybe they'll want to be starting the other path. And who knows where Matthew Joseph is in his career. Now, again, I personally think that selling low probably isn't the move to do anyways. I think that in a third and fourth line role this year, Joseph is going to look a lot stronger uh, than, you know, where he did last year. And he just, he didn't have a good year last year. Let's put it as it is. Right. But um, yeah, that kind of leaves Branstrom. Kubalik's an interesting name as well. I didn't really think of that one. I could see it, but I also think that with the, you know, they obviously clearly want to make playoffs. I do think that, they probably view Kubalik as some much needed depth addition to this team um, where, you know, you swap out to Brinkett for Tarasenko and you probably take a little bit of a downgrade there, but the depth of Kubalik with that cap space is what can really help the team. So I'd be a little surprised if they move him, but he's definitely a guy who would have positive assets uh, bring back in return. So I guess never say never, because if some team absolutely blows their socks off with a, with an offer that that would be a move, but yeah, I think unfortunately, and he's honestly one of my favorite players to watch in terms of a depth player for sure. I think Eric Branstrom is 
probably the most likely candidate if an injury doesn't occur. Um, yeah. Um, and regarding Kubelik, like I think, you know, that that could be something you could do if really Greg really um steps up and has a you know an outstanding camp. Um, because then you know maybe you're a bit less worried about that forward depth. Um, but yeah, I mean that that would be a good problem to have if if you've got um a couple of players pushing for spots. I mean. You know, it's easy to forget Igor Sokolov too. Uh, I don't anticipate that he'll uh, grab that you know third line left wing spot. But I mean, there are there are a handful of players that you know maybe one of them steps up and um, makes uh, a player like Kubelik expendable. Um, but yeah, I guess that's a good problem to have. We've we've had much worse problems over the last several years, so I'll I'll take it for now. Yeah, it's uh, definitely a better better problem than who's going to play more minutes, Ron Hainsey or Eric Branson or whatever yeah. the or Braden Colburn and Eric Branson, you know. Oh, so um, come yeah, so far, yeah, literally. Like I think it was uh, Bosty that was posting, uh, like it was a roster from 2020, I think, or something like that. And the captain was just, "How did we deal with this?" And it was. It was hideous. Like I, I, I can't even believe it. So um, yeah, no, I'm I'm uh, curious to see how things progress there. And you mentioned training camp. I'm going to be really interested to kind of monitor how the lines go in training camp because I'm uh, I think there's good discussion on both the forward and defense side of things about how they use the players that they have. Uh, you know, going into the season. Um, let's start on the forward side of things. You know. They have a bit of an influx of, of right wingers here where um, obviously Brady Kachuk is going to be their number one left wing. Uh, Giroux usually plays the right more if he's not playing center, which I don't think he's going to play center. I think he's better suited at right wing. Uh, so he'll be a right winger. Drake Batherson's obviously a right winger. And Vladimir Tarasenko is mainly a right winger as well. So um, I, I'm curious to get your thoughts on, you know, how do you think they're going to deploy the forwards here? Do you think someone like Drake Batherson might slide down to a third line even? Or do you think they'll move someone off to their off wing and, and stack the top six a little more? And, you know, how, how do you think they will do it? And how would you do it if you were the coach of the Ottawa Senators? Oh, well, uh, I feel a bit unqualified to <laughs> uh, to answer this. But, I mean, I guess if I'm going to cr- uh, critique Smith a lot, then you kind of got to come up with your own ideas. Uh, I'm, I'm not the biggest fan of Batherson on the third line. Um, I think he um, I think he works best when... Um, he's with someone, especially someone who um, can be a bit more defensively sound. I mean, that was one of his biggest issues with Debrinket last year was just they're a bit of a defensive black hole. Um, so, um, I mean, maybe maybe he, you know, he's fully recovered from that injury and is ready to to be a you know better two hundred foot player. But uh, I don't love him on the third line. Um, from what I gather, though, it, it sounds like both Batherson and Giroux have said that they can play the left side. Um, so, uh, I mean, maybe it, it, it works out well and um, you, like it just makes sense with uh, uh, with one of them shifting over and then you could have a really strong top six. So I'd probably lean towards that direction uh, if, uh, if it is shown that, that you know, either... Giroux or, or Batherson, I guess also, or Tarasenko can, can take the left, and I'm sure one of them will be able to. Uh, so I'm, I'm not super concerned about, about that. I think it will get sorted out. Yeah, I think that's fair. I think handedness probably gets overstated a little in the NHL, where 
you know, even if forwards. exactly right. Like defensemen, I kind of get it where, yeah, if you're trying to make plays along the boards or whatever, it's, uh, you know, you, you might want to have your, your left-hand shot on the left and, you know, vice versa. But yeah, for forwards, it's like, it, I don't think it's the biggest deal if one of your left winger shoots, right? Like they, they, it's not going to affect them too much. And, and honestly it can, it can open up other, uh, avenues as well whether where those one time timers you know off the rush or, and stuff like that getting quick releases off so I, I don't think it's a huge issue either um the, the one thing I, i'm curious to see if they do try to slide someone like batherson down to the third line i would be really curious you mentioned ridley greg already and i'm really happy you did uh, a, a third line of like greg pinto batherson i think could be a really effective uh you know scoring third line where yeah, you're probably not going to be sending them out in too many defensive responsibilities. But if you played something like Kubalik, um, Norris, Giroux on that second line or whatever, and, you know, maybe they play a little more in their own end, um, you know, not, I don't know if that's the best thing in the world either. But that third line, I think for sure, if you're just looking at versus other third lines would be really strong. Um, so, you know, that's something I'm just going to be curious to see. I feel like they'll experiment a different, like a couple different ways here. Like, I, I don't think it's going to be a set either stack the top six or spread everyone out. I, I do kind of wonder if it's a, a team where maybe they, you know, like Montreal, for example, where Cole Caulfield is the most dangerous player on that team. And you, you don't worry about the depth quite as much. Maybe they load up the top six for a game like that versus, you know, someone else who who's loaded, you know, one through four. Maybe that's where we see them try and try and spread the lines out a little bit and get some more depth scoring with someone like a Batherson on the third line or whatever. But um, yeah, I, I think training camp will be a, a good uh, indication to see kind of what their thoughts are as well and just see how many things they do experiment with here. Yeah, and I think what's so exciting is, I mean, hopefully to have you know, those your top three centers ready to go. Um, you know, we'll we'll see about the the Norris injury and and of course with with Pinto's contract. But just to have that depth um, where you could run that uh, Greg Pinto Batherson as a third line, uh, you know, I, I kind of like the sounds of that. Um, so, um, yeah, we'll see. We'll see how that evolves, and I mean, I'm sure there'll be a lot of blending through through training camp in the first you know weeks and months of the season. Um, but yeah, on paper, that sounds like a fun line for sure. Yeah, and then on the defensive side of things, it's. Uh... Similar story, definitely. You know, obviously it'll depend what happens with Branstrom. I think the third pairing is pretty locked in. It's either going to be Branstrom or Clevin, depending on if a trade happens. And then I think Travis Hamannick has that sixth spot with JBD rotating in as needed. Um, I, I think they really like Hamannick. And maybe it's more 50-50 than I'm willing to give. But I don't think there should be any shocks on that bottom pairing for sure. But the top four is really how I'm going to be interested to see how it plays out. Because... You know, obviously, I think even when the trade was made, everyone kind of accepted Chitrin's probably going to be the guy who slides over and plays the right side because he has done that in the past. Um, he hasn't done it as much as people seem to think in the past. I think he still can. I'm not worried about it. Um, but if he does, I'm really curious to see if they do the same thing where they try and kind of balance out and they go someone like Thomas Shabbat with Artem Zub and have, you know, your offensive guy and your defensive guy and then Jake Sanderson and Chitrin on that second pair where Chitrin can be the puck mover. Sanderson's definitely the more all around guy. Not that Sanderson can't move the puck either. Um, or if they load up a defensive pair and go someone like Sanderson with Zub, give them the entire tough minutes and let someone like Shabbat and Chitrin run around and play, you know, a little more free offensively, not having to take those number one matchups. Yeah. I was kind of surprised to, to see um, them giving Shabbat a, a shot on the right side, but I mean, maybe it works out. Um, you know, Shabbat didn't really have the, the greatest year last year, so 
I don't know, maybe coming to camp fresh um, with a different role, maybe it could work out. Um, so yeah, uh, but yeah, I'm, I'm excited to see that that top pairing. However, it it ends up um, sorting itself out over who's on which side. Uh, excited to see that for a full year. I mean, we really haven't seen Shabbat play um, full time with a set partner who wasn't Nikita Zaitsev since like the Dylan DeMillo days, and that's when you know Shabbat was his was at his, his best to be quite frank on that. Um, so to have him without Zaitsev um, with, you know, a, a, you know, real quality NHL or like Chikrin, hopefully for a, for a full year. Um, yeah, it's exciting. Um, I hope, uh, hopefully um, we get a bounce back here from Shabbat. And cause I mean, that would be really huge for the, for the teams to really have that, that top four, you know, strong and solidified going forward. Yeah, exactly. And um, yeah, like I, I thought in the time, the short time that Chicken and Shabak had to play together last year, they looked really good, obviously, before Chicken went down with an injury. Um, and even, you know, when Shabbat and Branstrom played together last year, like we, we talk about maybe the handedness being a little overstated. I thought that was one of their best pairings, just in a, again, very, very small sample, but just giving Shabbat a partner that can move the puck effectively and doesn't treat it like an active hand grenade, I think is going to be such an advantage to, you know, kind of enhancing what he can do on the ice, because I, I think it'll allow him to not have to feel he has to do everything or the puck's not getting cleared, where if he knows he can move it to his partner and his partner can move it up the ice efficiently, I think that's going to allow Shabbat to just not only take some weight off his shoulders, but just allow him to do a little more creative things with the puck instead of, you know, forcing a puck to one of his forwards or or trying to skate through three guys and turning it over like, you know, we saw a little bit over the past couple of years. So I, I think definitely having a steady partner and just, again, one, regardless of it's if it's Zub, if it's Chitron, or even if they go with Sanderson and put Sanderson and Shabbat together, like I think all three of those options will be, uh, you know, it goes without saying it's an infinite upgrade over basically any partner he's had since Dylan DeMello. Yeah, for sure. And um, to see that work out um, like ice time wise, where, you know, I think it won't be long before Sanderson's the guy who's, you know, we're seeing his minutes, you know, inch up to, to 30 minutes and we start you know saying oh why are we playing this guy so much we're gonna run him into the ground um so uh, i'm excited to see um what shabbat can do with a reduced workload um maybe bring it down to like the 24 minute range uh, yeah hopefully he'll be just a, a fresher uh player um yeah it'll be exciting to see yeah, for sure. That's another good point where, you know, he's been so overworked in past years. It's just obvious he's he's trying to do too much, much like, you know, it rem reminds me a lot of Ryan Suter in Minnesota um, or um, yeah, in Minnesota when he was, you know, kind of in the, the prime there where they would just run him out for like 27 minutes a night. And it's like, well, you can't go all out for 27 minutes. So um, that'll be really interesting to see. And then the, the final thing, you know, obviously, uh, I, I think with the goaltending, I'm going to be really curious to see a not only just how Anton Forsberg bounces back, he says he's completely healthy, which I'm really encouraged by. I'm a little worried by a double knee injury. I, I can't remember too many of those we've seen people come back from, but B, 
I think Forsberg has been a pretty underrated part or a pretty underrated goalie for this team for the past two years. So I'm going to be really curious to see how the splits between Corpusalo and Forsberg end up this year, because, you know, obviously they gave Forsberg that big five-year $20 million contract. I, I think it's pretty clear they want him to be the number one, but I think it'll be much more of a 1A, 1B situation than it is going to be Corpusalo getting 55 plus games in the net. Uh, yeah. Um, yeah, we'll, we'll see how that, that double knee injury um, recovery goes. I mean, I, I, it sounds like he's back to 100%, so, uh, which is kind of shocking when you first saw the injury happen last year. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think that's kind of the ideal scenario. You look at teams like Boston last year who have that 1A, 1B uh, set up in it. Uh, you know, the Islanders did it for a little while. Uh, it seems to, to work out pretty well. I mean, it gets a bit dicey in the playoffs sometimes, but uh, that's, you know, unless you have a Vasilevsky or a Shesterkin or Sorokin, like that's kind of the the model you want to go and to have um, you know, your uh, goalie tandem set for under seven million dollars. Um, I think that's um, you know, pretty pretty desirable and puts them in a, in a good spot. I mean, we'll we'll see how the the five years ages, um, but you we're at a stage in the rebuild where sometimes you got to swing for the fence, right? And uh, you get to to bring in the best goalie who's on the market, um, even if that does maybe, um, uh, if you do have to probably overpay on, on term, um, it's, uh, you know, $4 million isn't, you know, the end of the world. It's not, I mean, if you look at what the Matt Murray contract was, I mean, he's, he's supposed to be getting paid, I believe $8 million this year. So, um, you know, I think, uh, I think it's a fair risk. I mean, goalies are so weird anyways. So, I mean, who's to say, um, but yeah, it's 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 an exciting tandem, and uh, you know, I love what I've seen from Corpusalo's uh, mask setup as well. So um, that's like half of the battle for a for a goalie is just looking good. So um, yeah, excited to to see it in action. I I would think that Corpusalo probably gets the 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 season opening start. I think. Um, but yeah, I mean, hopefully they both. Um, play well and make it a, a, a good friendly competition to, to get the net. Yeah, exactly. And honestly, I think one thing with the Corpus Solo contract that I overlook a lot of the times to just myself, you know, you see the big long contract and a lot of them don't turn out the greatest, you know, like the Milan Lucic contract, the Louis Erickson contract. Those are a couple that have just been disasters for long, long-term deals that everyone knew right away. But I think, especially with a goalie getting into his thirties, by the fourth or fifth year, like if Corpusalo is just unplayable, he's not going to play. They're going to LTIR him. We see this all the time with guys getting up into their 30s where, you know, yeah, they might have a couple extra years on their term and everyone goes, well, this is going to be a disaster by the end. It's like, well, there's a good chance if by 34 years old, Corpusalo has a bad knee injury or something like that. Just unfortunately, that's, you know, it's a chance with a goalie. Maybe he doesn't. But if he's something like that, they might just throw him on LTIR. And they probably don't have to worry about it anyway. So um, it's something where, as you said, like it, they kind of have to take the shot right now. I don't think there was much of a better option out there this year either. So, you know, I'm very fine with the gamble. And yeah, I think um, he'll probably get the ball, uh, the uh, not the ball, the uh, puck or the net game one. And we'll, we'll see where it goes from there. I, if I had to guess, if both of them stay healthy in the year, I would probably peg it as about 49 50 games for Corpus Allo and uh that leave I guess 32 33 for for Forsberg somewhere in that range 
Uh, yeah, I would I'd probably agree with that. Uh, I think that's how you'd like like it to shake out. Uh, kind of matches closely to what the salary ratio is too. So uh, nice when it works out that way. Yeah, exactly. So um, I think that's a good spot to wrap. Uh, you know, we've uh, we've touched on some stuff here, and uh, as we mentioned, it's uh, very exciting. Um, Time of the year, you know, a few weeks away from the season officially beginning and and we'll finally actually have some new Ottawa Senators stuff to talk about. And, you know, obviously, let's hope the uh, the start of the season is ex- as exciting as everyone's hoping for. So, uh, Steve, thank you so much for joining me today. Uh, let people know, you know, if there's anywhere you want to uh, plug, uh, go ahead and do that. Um, I mean, there's the Sens lore site still up, so check check that out for weird Sens stuff. But otherwise, uh, I don't know, I've still got Twitter, but I'm kind of like, scaled it back quite a bit so uh, which has been doing wonders for my mental health so um i don't know i'll probably pop up for the odd sense suite here and there uh, so uh, yeah hopefully good season ahead and go sense go yeah absolutely and uh thank you so much for joining me we'll have to have you on again later in the year when uh we got some actual games to talk about and uh for anyone Wants to follow me? They can follow me on Twitter at NHL Sends and stuff. Uh, they can follow the podcast at Last Word on Sends. I will also be having something up on Last Word on Hockey this week, and it is the puck drop preview for the Ottawa Senators. So we're doing all 32 teams in the league. I have Ottawa coming out, I believe, on the 27th of September, and it'll be uh, analyzing all the lines, combos, things to watch, stuff like that. So definitely go ahead and check that out. Thank you so much to see for joining me today, and I hope everyone has a great week. We'll talk to you all next week.